Well, if you have your Bibles today, uh, I want you to turn to two passages, Romans chapter 8 and 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Or if you're, if, you're, if you're clicking on your Bible, you can actually go to calvary.online, click today's message, and all of the notes will come right up on your phone. Uh, you can also find us through the Bible app as a live event if you want to find us that way. All the notes will be there, and then you could jot down your own notes as well, because I got a lot of scriptures for you uh, today. Today I'm going to be wrapping up a series called Spirit-Led Living. And uh, in, in kind of this final installment, I wanted to give kind of a capstone message about living spirit-led and maybe what to expect when you're living spirit-led and, 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 and why it is that we should live a certain way when we, when we live a spirit-led life. Now, we, we need to know from the very beginning why spirit-led living is important. Romans 8.14 tells us why it's important. It says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This verse says the distinguishing mark of a believer isn't that they go to church. Isn't that your name is on a roll somewhere. It is that you are in an active relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, some people think they have an inactive relationship with the Holy Spirit. That means, I, well, I, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I gave my life to Christ, but I don't, follow, I don't follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I just do kind of whatever I want to do. And, and that is not something that the Bible describes as a characteristic of a believer. It says the sons of God are led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the leading, guiding force of our life. And the reason why we did this entire series is because God wants us to move. But how many of you know, if, if we're going to move in the proper way, in the proper direction, we need to follow the leadership of God in our life. And the leadership of God in your life and mine is through the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, Today, I want to speak a final message called Carrying God's Presence. And the scripture tells us that everything in the Old Covenant was actually given to us as an example so that we could glean the principles from them. Aren't you glad that you can read through the pages of, 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 of Genesis and Exodus and you can see the mistakes made in the lives of the patriarchs and you can actually learn from their mistakes and not have to do it? Or are you that person? Yeah, I know what it's like to be that person. You know, you say, well, all right, I read that. I see that mistake, but then I end up stumbling over myself. But the scriptures say it was all given to us as an example. So today, we're going we're gonna to glean some principles from a, a fairly famous passage. It's found in two different places. We're going to look in the, those two different places at this event. And, and they pertain to carrying God's 
presence. So as a spirit-led believer, this is what each one of us are called to. And so we're going to begin today in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And the background of this is simply this. David is now king. The nation is unified. And David decides it's time to make God the center of everything. We have got to get God's presence into the center of everything. So that's the backdrop. He has a very good desire. And I'm going to read some, uh, several, several uh, scriptures here from 1 Chronicles 15. And, and we'll follow along and grab some of these principles that are going to help us to carry God's presence in our lives. First, Corinthians, uh, First Chronicles 15.1 says this, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one can carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, and David called for Zadok and Abathar the priest, and for the Levites, and Uriel, and Asiah, and Joel, and, and Shema, a hard name, and hard name, and Abinadab, okay? And, uh, and um, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend. And, uh, and he said to them, <laughs> You are the heads of the fathers' uh, uh, houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of, of God of Israel to the place I prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And then jump down to verse 25 and it says, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of the units of thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now, this is an incredible passage with lots of insights and we're just gonna grab uh, three of these principles and then have kind of an overarching truth that is uh, uh, attached to it. So, Let's, let's see what we can glean from this passage about carrying God's presence in our lives. First of all, if you really genuinely want to carry God's presence, you need to prepare a place. You must prepare a place for God's presence. It says David built houses for himself in the city of God, and David prepared a place for the ark of God, and he pitched a tent for it. Now, just so you know, the city of David is, is very close to the Temple Mount. 
It's very close. It's, uh, it would be like walking across our church property to get to it. And so the place where he was preparing for God was very close to its final destination uh, in the temple. That, that really was in the heart of David to, to build God a, a more permanent house. David wouldn't, but Solomon would carry that out. And so... Uh, he, he gets it in his heart. He says, I not only am going to prepare a place for myself, I am going to prepare a place for the manifest presence of God. I'm going to prepare a place. And David prepared a tent. It was a dwelling place place of God. It, uh, by uh, standards, it was not Moses's tabernacle in all of its uniqueness, nor was it Solomon's temple in all of its splendor. It literally was a tent that went up and did uh, finally go up and, 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 and established 24 hour a day, seven day a week worship and prayer for over 30 years was incredible. So he, he pitched a tent. He made a dwelling place for God. Well, what does that mean for you and I who are endeavoring to carry God's presence? Here's what it means. In the New Testament, the dwelling place of God is not a temple made with hands. It's you and I are meant to be the dwelling place of God. You and I are the ones that carry the presence of God. And we have to, what? Prepare a place. Well, how do you prepare a place? How do you prepare to become a dwelling place of God on earth? Well, Here's how 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Notice these words. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It says, you were bought with a price. There is a word, one word, a theological term, maybe you only use if you are like a heavy couponer. Redemption. Okay? Bought with a price, it means you were redeemed. That you were paid for. He says, as the dwelling place of God, you need to know you were paid for. If you are going to host God's presence in your life, there is only one way to prepare for God's presence. It is to allow a full work of God's redemption in your life. It is to give the gospel full access to its transforming work in your life. Say, I am redeemed. You see, this is why Christ came. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has, notice the terms, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might 
receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice, you are redeemed to carry the presence of God. If you, if you are going to be that vessel that carries God's presence, you have to be redeemed. Let me put it another way. You need to be born again. You don't have the Spirit of God because you were born. There are lots of kind of nice statements. Oh, we're all God's children. No. We are simply children until we're born again. Then we become God's children and a dwelling place of his presence. The way you prepare for God's presence is to allow the gospel to do its work in your life. And I, let me just testify for, for a moment. Um, uh, 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 several years ago, I took a group of, of teenagers to the Amazon. I don't know how many bold parents are in the room would let me. The youngest person I took was a girl who, who hardly talked. I couldn't believe she went on the mission trip. 13 years old, she would hardly speak. We spent 19 days on an Amazon riverboat preaching to Indians up and down the river. And we were, we were going to towns that had no roads in and no roads out. You got there by river or by plane. And here's what I want you to know. As people translated for us, sometimes twice, we were preaching the gospel. And the gospel works in the Amazon. When you preach that Jesus came because God loves us and he came to forgive us of our sins so that he could have a relationship with us and all who place faith in what Jesus did for us will be born of God's spirit. Guess what happened in Brazil? People got born again. And at one time we threw a soccer tournament and every single person in the soccer tournament got saved. Every single person. I, I, I got more stories. By the way, if you're wondering if the gospel only works in Brazil, we went to Macedonia and we saw the gospel work in the least evangelized nation in Europe. At one time, only it was less than 2% Christian. And there we are. We're preaching the gospel. And guess what? The gospel works in Macedonia. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I found out that the gospel also works in Spanish in Honduras, up and down the Mosquito Coast. It also works in Africa. It works in Ghana. And by the way, it works here. And we have to allow the gospel to change our lives. We don't go to church so we can eat chicken with people after service. I mean, you might do that. Praise God, but that's not why we come. We came, we come, we gather to celebrate that the gospel changed our lives. The good news. And if you want to be the one that really genuinely carries God's presence, you got to let the cross change your life. We can't just say, well, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be a good person. But you know, me and God, we got a deal. No, you don't. God's a terrible negotiator. He doesn't negotiate at all. You may negotiate, but he doesn't negotiate at all. He's not budging. He's not moving. Okay? And I promise you what he wants is full devotion, 
full access. And when we give God full access and we truly surrender our lives in response to Jesus surrendering his life to give it as a free gift, the gospel will work, we will be redeemed, and we become prepared for God's presence. Now, next... Yes, you have to sanctify yourself. You have to sanctify yourself. See verse 12, it says, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Notice what this says. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared it. Now this word sanctify, it means to consecrate. It means to set apart. It means to be separated from and separated to God. So that's what it means to sanctify yourself. Let me put it in a very uh, a simple way for you. It is, this is where you submit your will. This is the place where you submit your will to God's will in your life. Because he says, sanctify yourself. Set yourself. It's choose to honor God. It is choosing God. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says it this way. It says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I dwell in them and I walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, these are really, really important verses. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so what we see here is in response to the work of redemption, what should our response be? That is, we have to reject everything that the world is trying to, to drag us into, say is normal. We, we reject sin. We reject bondage. We reject addic addiction. We reject those things. But it's not that we're just separating ourselves from things. We're actually giving ourselves to God. Let me tell you what that means. I'm giving myself to the person of love. I'm giving myself to love. I am giving myself to joy. I'm giving myself to peace, unexplainable and full of glory. I'm giving myself to goodness. I'm giving myself to mercy. I'm giving myself to self-control. See, those things are the fruit of the Spirit, but the Spirit is the Lord. It's God. So what do I do? It's not that I'm just the person that I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. Actually, I give myself. So the act of sanctifying yourself is not just avoiding sin, it's embracing God on a fresh and new level because you're in relationship with him. Let me put it to you this way. We are not consecrated for approval. We are consecrated because we have been approved. Man, that is good news. That means that, that God, does, God will never love you more because you're, you're more consecrated. No, no, no. What, the reason why we give ourselves fully to God is because God is so good. He is so much better than everything else. He's so much better. 
And so we need to sanctify ourselves. We need to come out and, and be separate. And then what does it say? It says it's in that moment when we separate ourselves from those things that we know God as Father. We know God as Father. This is where your relationship with God begins to kind of go to another level. Another level of, of identity for you personally. It's where you begin to walk as a son or daughter, just like a Levite would have when they consecrated themselves. Here's what you need to know about a Levite. A Levite would have grown up in their family, and they would have looked at their kids and said, Son, you were born to carry the presence of God. It's us. There are other tribes. They do great things in Israel. But you, you are born to carry God's presence. And what, when we come into the New Testament, we need, when someone gets born again, when somebody gets prepared for God's presence, we need to look them right in the eye and say, guess what? You have been born again to carry God's presence. It's time you sanctify yourself, that you would separate yourself from that stuff that's only going to bring death and separate yourself to God, which is the giver of life. That's what it means to sanctify yourself. And that's how we should properly handle God's presence. Third, and I just put it very simply, you must obey. You must obey. You know, and unfortunately, in, in, in uh, lots, of, lots of churches, we, we avoid these terms. Like, oh, that's so narrow-minded. <laughs> obey. I mean, we only say it to our kids when we're angry. You need to obey me. <laughs> but the scripture connects obedience to love. He says, if you love me, John 15, you'll obey my commands. We need to obey See, in verse 13 and in 1 Chronicles 15, it says this. For because you did not do it the first time. Can we just stop there for a minute? Am I preaching to anybody but myself? Because we did not do it the first time. Anybody ever do it in your own strength, in your own wisdom? You thought you had it all worked out? You had everything planned out. This is going to work okay. God's all right with this, I think. And then you realize, maybe I shouldn't have done it that way. Okay? And he says, because you didn't do it the first time. You know what that means? There is an opportunity the first time to do it the right way. How many of you have ever been standing before a person who, who is headed down a path that you went down and you wish you had never gone down? And what do you do? You throw up the warning signal. You throw up your hands. You're like, listen, whatever you do, don't go that way. There's destruction there. Don't make that choice. Listen, I made that choice. And I, don't, I, I wish I had never made that choice. And here's, here's, here's God. God saying, listen, I'm going to give you a second chance. You know, isn't it great that God's the God of second chances? Amen. It's so good. We have to obey. It says, it gets, because you did not do it the first time, 
the Lord our God broke out. Remember that term, against us. Because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Obedience is connected to these two ideas. The proper order and according to the word of the Lord. The proper order and according to the word of the Lord. We have to obey so what does it mean that God broke out? Well, this same uh, scene is actually recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and, and we'll, we'll read it uh, together. And it says, So when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which is symbolic of God's presence, it says, So they set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. By the way, that's an important note. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Notice it says it twice. You need to know it was on the hill. Accompanying the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of firwood, on harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah uh, to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So here's, here's the scene. They have the ark of God on a new cart. And there are oxen pulling it down the hill. It's coming down the hill. And so they're bringing it. Here's the scene. It's an incredible worship service. They're singing. They're playing. This is David's intention of bringing God back to the center of the nation. And then they reached Nacon's threshing floor. Anybody ever give your life to Christ or know somebody that gave their life to Christ and you really thought everything was just going to get better? And you started down the path and it seemed like things got worse. Like the life that you had built and pursued, all of a sudden it starts to crumble down. Well, this is Nacon's threshing floor. They have they've assembled the people. There's thousands of people walking, thousands of people worshiping. David is there. And now all of a sudden in the middle of the, uh, of the celebration, God kills Uzzah. Why? 
because the oxen stumbled. And he reached out, and this is my opinion, but it's humble and accurate. In my opinion, Uzzah reached out to save God. And when he reached out to save God, he broke the type. He broke the way that the presence of God actually... God does never, never need saving. He never needs saving. I once spoke a message called, The Day Good Intentions Died. It died that day. He had good intentions. He thought, I'll save God. You know what it was? It was out of order. How many of you know, even if the cart had turned upside down, God saves himself. He defends himself. He doesn't need our help. And unfortunately, what we're doing in our more modern age is we think we've got to repackage God in order to carry him to the masses. We think, well, I'm going to make a new cart for God. I'm going to make something new. But then he reached a threshing floor. Listen, guys. You want God's presence in your life? That's a great goal. Here's what God wants in your life. He wants fruit that remains. It will be connected to his presence. And this is why it happened at a threshing floor. A threshing floor is always on a hill. Always on a hill. Why? Because in order for a threshing floor to work, it needs wind. And wind in the scripture is symbolic of God's presence. In the Hebrew, it's the same word. Spirit and wind, same word. So a threshing floor needs the spirit to work. It needs wind to work. What happens at a threshing floor? They would bring in the wheat harvest, the barley harvest, and what is in the threshing floor is a combination of two things. One, it would be the, they call it the wheat berries, the fruit of the wheat, it's the, and, and the chaff. But the wheat, the fruit, is heavier than the chaff. And so in the threshing floor, what they would do is quickly rip it up. And they would rip it up, and the, the wheat berries were heavy, and they would fall back down on the threshing floor. And the chaff was light, and the wind would blow away the chaff. Here's what's happening at the threshing floor. God is separating eternal fruit from that which is not necessary or that which is out of order. And honestly, if we would all get honest before God, we all probably have some kind of mixture in our life, some kind of chaff the Spirit of God is trying to blow out of the way. And I would say many times, we, if we would just submit the first time, he would get the chaff out. But sometimes he has to take us over a speed bump in life. And it's then that when we're going after the fruit of God and God's purposes in our life and we're, we're, we're in there, we're working with the, the presence of God. We're working with the presence of God. It's then that the, the, the wind will blow away what's unnecessary. Listen, as human beings, we don't let go of unnecessary things. 
until we know that we need to cling to eternal things. And so this was a moment where David was like, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I often wonder, how did they even get the ark off of the cart? How did they get it off? They just roll it over to Obed-Eden's house, like take a stick, just kind of push it off there. David's like, I, I, I'm not going near it. I don't know what to do. He said, what was, what's, what, what was out of order? Here's what, what was out of order. Remember, the ark was supposed to be carried on men's shoulders. What was it on? It was on a new cart. Second, it was pulled by oxen. Cows. Cows. Carrying God's presence. Unfortunately, I've had to answer this question in ministry many times. I just lost my cat. Will it be in heaven? And my clear answer as a prophet of the Lord is no cats in heaven. No. Maybe a dog. One that doesn't shed and walks itself. It is out of order. <laughs> it is out of order to place the presence of God on something that has no redeemable qualities. You see, it's only mankind who is made in the express image of God that is made to carry the presence of God. And so you and I, while I am grateful for the amazing corporate services that we have, the presence of God is not made for this plaster, these walls, these lights, and this stage. This is the gathering place of all of the stones in the temple. And when we come together, the manifest presence comes, comes together. This is, not, this is not the place that God desires to abide, although I do believe that this is a place of God's manifest presence where he makes his presence known. The place where he desires to abide is on you, in you and I. It's the proper order. The other thing that was out of order is another translation says it was Uzzah's irreverence. Uzzah's irreverent act cost him. And when you and I are carrying the presence of God, walking in obedience is an act of revering who God is. I actually believe that it is in our day that God is going to restore by the wind of his spirit. He is going to restore a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. And not, not in a negative way. It means a holy awe of God because if, if God for a moment was to peel back eternity and we were to gaze for a moment 
at the one who sits on the throne. And we were to hear his voice as the sound of many waters. If we were to see the face of Jesus right now as John did, who said his face is shining like the sun in its strength, you and I would fall as dead men and women on our face in a holy fear of the Lord. And I believe it is actually what God is restoring in this hour as he grants us revelation of who he really is and who we are carrying to this community. We need to know the proper order. And the closer they got to destiny, the presence of God in Jerusalem, God demanded that he be handled properly. He says it won't be on carts with oxen. Notice where the, the presence of God landed. It landed in a guy's house named Obed-Edom. Edom is the name uh, of, of the region, but his name is Obed. I can't help but notice how close to obedience his name is. And Obed-Edom is so blessed in three months' time, the government hears about it. I mean, how blessed do you need to be that the government ends up hearing that you are so blessed? And he was so blessed that the government showed up and took everything away from him. <laughs> this is not a message on politics. You actually find that that Obed-Edom so valued the presence of God after that three-month experience that he left with the ark. And he became a doorkeeper for the ark. Obed-Edom showed up doing everything. He's like, y'all ruined me. I hosted God's presence. And wherever God's going, now I'm going. Now, I want to finish today by reading this final passage out of First Corinthians, First uh, Chronicles, pardon me, uh, chapter fifteen, starting in verse twenty-five, because this is a closing thought. Because I recognize the wrestling match that sometimes goes on in the heart of very well-meaning people, when they, perhaps even when you hear a message like this, it's like I don't know if I could do this. I don't, I don't know if I could fully give myself to God. There could be some people in here right now, you're, you're a little bit conflicted. What does that mean? What would my life look like? I've kind of propped it up on my own. I kind of got my own things in my, uh, going on. What, what's, what's that really look like? Well, let's read this passage together and see if God doesn't give us some insight. It's verse 25. In the NIV, it says it this way. It says, so David and the elders and the commanders of the units of thousand went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Some, I, I know that this is going on. Some of you are saying, I'm way too weak to be fully given to consecrate. I'm, I'm way too messed up. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my thoughts. I hide them well on a Sunday morning. This verse ought to really encourage you. You see that 
The Levites went in and they knew their assignment. They knew now because David said, Moses said, you guys have to carry this on poles. So four guys, you guys are gonna carry this. Here's the only problem. If you're a Levite and you look down at the Ark of the Covenant, you see gold and wood and gold. and It's very ornate. Not only that, but it, it contains some things. It contains a bowl of manna, Aaron's rod, and uh, the, uh, the, the commandments. And it is said by Jewish you know, scholars that just the lid would have weighed 700 pounds. 700 pounds. And that's what we've got to lift. But notice what this says. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark. This is what happened. According to Jewish tradition, this is what happened. When they reached down to grab the poles, the ark was light. And when they put it on their shoulders, it actually began to lead them when they would carry the Ark of the Covenant, the presence that was resting on the Ark, they weren't leading the presence. The presence on the Ark was leading them. And this is why every person in this room needs to know Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Reach down. Let Make space for me. Sanctify yourself. Reach down in obedience and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to help you lift what you could never lift on your own. They rejoiced. They celebrated. They sang. David danced. They sacrificed. Some people said every six steps they stopped and sacrificed for miles. David was a dancing, spinning, whirling mess when he saw God was helping them. Some of you are wondering why those people are in that condition all of the time. Why are you so excited, Pastor Otis? Why do you dance? Why do you sing? Why do you kneel? Here's why. Because I have felt the presence of God and I've looked at the, the, the callings of God and the commands of God and they were too big for me. But then he gave me his presence to carry as a gift of being his son and I reached down to the principles of God and the Holy Spirit helped me lift a load I could never lift on my own and he did it for me and he will do it for you. And that's what... The Spirit of God is saying to all of us in this season, as we would dare to carry the presence of God to this community. We're, we're, we're just looking at the list of do's and don'ts and think, ah, oh, I don't know. Make a place for him. Submit your will to him. And put your hand to be the one that carries. And watch how the Holy Spirit helps you do what you can never do on your own.